welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So the the whole reason we prophesy is ultimately to bring people to a point of repentance. Um, and so I want to just touch a bit on that, expand on that, and then and look what it why it is and, and, and how, how we do it. But repentance is such a, a confused word in Christianity. I know Paula talked about it a little bit the other day. Um, but we often, we hear the word repent and we think of a whole host of uh, different things and really does it look good, <laughs> right? I mean, when people are repenting, they're ripping their robes and sprinkling mud on their head. And you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's deep sorrow, it's, it's, it's feeling shame and, and just terrible about yourself and regretting of the past and feeling sorrow and, uh, and, then, and then it leads to doing something different. You have to go and do a different thing. Um, and that's typically how we, how we teach repentance. And um, I don't know what it is like in, in the German, but I know certainly in the English, we look at that word repent in the, Bible, in the dictionary and it, and it says to feel regret and sorrow and to, to act uh, accordingly, um, so like to, to do something about it, um, and actually it comes from this uh, the Latin word uh, repentere, which which means to regret and feel sorrow, and to do an act of penance, to do something to make it right, um, and so it's, it's almost about making things right with God. So you've you've screwed up, you should feel bad, and now you should do something to make God feel better about it. Um, and so it's not surprising that when we hear the word repent, we think of all these things. Um, but actually, if you take a step further back into the original texts, that's not at all uh, what repentance looks like. Um, repentance in the Greek um, means, uh, it, it, the word is metanoia. And it's built of two separate Greek words, meta, which means to change, and nois, which means the mind. So in, in its basic form, metanoia, repentance, means change your mind. Um, and so, as repentance is said all through the, the New Testament, it's constantly said, isn't it? Jesus is saying, repent, the kingdom is at hand. You just need to repent, repent. Paul, um, you know, the disciples, Peter, they're like, repent, repent, repent. What we do? We need to repent. Like, uh, we, it's very easy for us to read that in the Bible and think, oh, you've got to feel bad about how screwed up you've been and you've got to make it right and do something good and, you know, go change what you're doing. And that's not what they're saying. They're saying, you need to change what you think. Now, changing what you think does end up leading to doing something different, right? Um, so, I mean, obviously, we're, I'm not saying don't do something different, but the, the word in and of itself is to change the mind. That's, that's the power is in changing the mind. You know, Romans 12.2 says that we're renewed by the, that we're transformed by the renewal of the mind. So when we renew the mind, that brings transformation. Um, and this is why it's so important to us to hammer in early on, you know, like you need to believe that you're, you're good inherently, that you're amazing, that you, God has created you wonderful and, and you're this new creation, this, this extraordinary, um, divine, perfected, righteous thing. Because if you start to believe that, you're going to start looking like it. And actually the areas where you don't look like that are typically the areas you don't believe it yourself. Right? It's, 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 and, and, and so it, it's all about renewing the minds, repenting, changing the minds. And in prophecy, that's what we give people. We give them a gift um, of seeing things differently. We, they get to see something differently. You know, um, Peter and Andrew uh, down on the shore of Galilee, getting their fish in from the boat, didn't see themselves as capable of doing what a rabbi did. Right? Their entire society had told them they weren't good enough. They knew themselves they weren't good enough. Their teachers probably told them they weren't good enough. Their parents were probably, they're very supportive probably, but they also told them, yeah, you're not good enough, get in the boat. Um, you know, and I don't know if you rec can recognize that in any areas of your life where you've had everyone else around you and yourself going, you're not good enough in this instance. And so when God comes in and says, hey, I think you're good enough, that requires us to change our mind. And it can actually be quite hard to change our mind as well. It's quite a drastic shift um, to go, wait, yeah, oh, whoa, I, I, I could do this? Um, it's, a, it's an amazing um, 
moment, this is repentance. And sometimes there's sorrow and guilt, uh, sorrow and guilt, sorrow and re regret, you know? Sometimes that you feel bad that you missed out on the past, that you didn't believe in yourself earlier, that you didn't believe God could do something earlier. And so, yeah, sometimes you're going to feel, oh man, I totally screwed up. I, I really regret that. I feel bad about it. You might cry for a while. Like, so repentance doesn't always look like, yay! Like, sometimes you really are bummed out that you screwed up. But it leads to, yay, right? So it gets there. Um, and if it doesn't get there, it's probably not a, a healthy repentance because the fruit of the Spirit is joy, not sorrow, you know? And he turns sorrow into joy. Um, and so um, it's important that we recognize that while sadness or regret might be a part of repentance, it isn't what repentance is in and of itself. It's not required for repentance. You don't need to feel bad and beat yourself up to repent to change your mind and um, and oftentimes especially if you're in the zone if you get used to going well i know i screw up all the time that's fine <laughs> i i don't need to be uh focused on that what i do need to know is i can constantly be learning i can constantly be receiving something true from my father and when we get in that zone every time he says something that challenges what we previously believed it's a lot easier not to go, go through the, oh, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel sorrow. I'm going to feel regret over wasted time and actually just go, well, God restores wasted time anyway. God's great. God's good. He turns all things for good. So actually, I'm just going to fo fixate on actually getting pretty excited about this good news. Um, and so that's the, the beauty of this repentance. And, and you know, I, I, I'll maybe go into a little bit what the Old Testament says about repentance as well, because um, it's easy for us to go, well, you know, like, yeah, but that's just changing your mind, but that's in the, the, the New Testament. But the Old Testament um, actually talks about repentance as well, quite a bit, right? I mean, people are called to repent, either nations or people or individuals. You know, I mean, a whole host of different folks are called to repent. Um, and the, the, the main Hebrew, there's a couple of Hebrew words used for repentance, but the main one was um, this word teshuva. Um, and it comes from two root words, um, and uh, it, it comes from the word tov, which is good, tov. Um, and so, you know, you see like all the way through Genesis 1, you know, God said it was good, and he made this, and it was good, and God saw that it was good, like this good, good, good. That word is tov, tov is good. Um, and the, the other word is shuv, which is to return. And so... Um, a lot of people pull on that to make repentance about turning around, going the other way, trying to do good. And so a lot of times we can turn repentance into a bit of a work, right? Because it's, it's about turning around and doing what's right. So you've done something wrong. God's told you, don't do that. So you turn around and do what's right. And now God's going to be pleased at you. But actually, it's still a very works-orientated mode. Is God pleased with you because you do good and displeased with you because you do bad? And the, the underpinning message in the New Testament is, no, that's not how God works at all. God loves you because he is love. And whether you do good or bad is immaterial to how much he loves you and delights in you. But obviously, as you enjoy that love and, and experience that, you will do good. Um, but he's not fixated on whether you're doing the good or the bad. It's not about turning around and doing the goods because that's not what God's motivated by. He's not motivated by you doing good. Um, He's motivated by the person in the middle, torn by good, bad, good, bad, what do I do? He's motivated by you in the middle. And so it's, it is about returning, it is about turning, but it's not in the sense of turning to get something, it's rather turning to experience something, to enjoy something. And actually this, this um, word teshuva, this, this returning, it's returning to what is good. It's not, uh, you know, turn around and, and stop screwing up, you useless person, you need to do good, it's actually turning to what is good within. And so actually it's a recognition of this isn't who I am. This isn't what I'm called to be. And so it's, it's, a, it's a realizing I am the one that's good. It's, it's an internal reality. It's an internal change, not an external change. It's not about stop, um, you know, I don't know, throwing bricks through windows and start, you know, building orphanages. It's about stop believing things in and of yourself that is causing you to go down this path. And instead, change your belief about yourself. Return to goods. Return to your origin. There's a lot of um, elements within the, the word teshuva that would highlight that it's, it's about the original path. It's not just about the good path. It's about the original path, the, the original design, the original design for your life, for who you are. And, and so this, this repentance is about turning inwards and going, who am I? 
What am I made to be? Because the answer, even for the Jews, was you, you are good. You are made as a good, whole human. You know, this concept uh, that a lot of Christians have of like original sin, that, you know, because of Adam, we're all inherently sinful. Jews didn't know that. Well, that's very new theology. Um, Jews didn't have that belief. Jews believed they were good and they were made good. That's what Genesis told them. <laughs> um, and so they believed, I am a good person, but they needed a lot of reminding and they needed to teshuva often. So oftentimes they would be walking along a certain path and, and God would call them and say, hey, teshuva, come back to the original path. Come back to the, what your original design is. Come back to who you are. And so even in the Old Testament, there's this, this, this theme that is calling you to change your mind, to change what you think about yourself. It's really important that we, that we understand that this is, this is a fundamental of, um, of faith, both for the, the Christian and the Jewish uh, faith, actually, was this concept of returning to the right path, returning to who you are. Um, and and why, why is it so important that we, um, that we do this, that we, that we uh, teshuva, that we metanoia, that we have this change of mind? It's because changing your mind is what causes you to do what you do. What you believe is what you will do. What, what is in here causes what comes out. You know, um, Jesus often says, like, what comes out of the mouth reveals the heart, you know. Um, Proverbs uh, 23, 7 says, um, what a man believes, so he is. So what you believe is who you end up being. Um, and I've seen that again and again and again in people. This idea that, oh, I'm a filthy, rotten, terrible sinner. And guess what? They're sinners. <laughs> if you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin by faith. <laughs> and so if you fixate on negative stuff, you believe the wrong stuff about yourself, you're going to produce that in and of yourself. If you believe you're useless, you're going to act useless. If you believe you're a sinner, you're going to sin. If you believe you're a pathological liar, you're going to keep lying. If you believe you're an angry person, you're going to keep getting angry. Like, if you have those beliefs about yourself, they frame how you do life. And so this is the importance of changing what we believe. You know, the, the New Testament talks about this often. Um, we understand that we have everything by grace. You know, it's a gift from God, grace in abundance. You know, you have all things pertaining to life. Um, you have every spiritual blessing. The Bible is really clear again and again and again in the New Testament. It says you've been given everything, the spirit without measure, godliness without measure, you know, all these different things. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. But the Bible is also really clear that you don't access it unless you believe it. <laughs> so you have it, but you might not actually use it. And so, you know, I think of um, Romans 4.16, Romans 5.2, um, uh, Ephesians uh, 2.8 says, um, by grace we've received through faith. So we have it by grace, but we need to engage with faith if we're going to actually pick it up and use it. So an example I might give you is, um, and you probably cannot identify with this at all, but imagine you've only got 20 pounds in your bank account, right? So you've got 20 bucks in your, in your account and you go up to an ATM, right, with your card and you need to take some money out to buy something. And you go put your card in and it says, what do you want? And it's got 10, 20, 50, 100, 250, other, right? And you're looking at it and you're not gonna hit most of those buttons, are you, right? Because you know you've got 20 bucks in your account and you're thinking, well, my options are 10, 20, maybe other. I'm not sure what other options are in, <laughs> in that gap. And so you're looking at it and you're not gonna take the 250 out, are you? Because you've got 20 bucks. And actually you're thinking, well, I'm not even sure I can take 20 bucks out. Because I mean, like maybe I can't remember if I used my card for a couple of bucks here or there. Uh, I'll maybe just take 10. Maybe if you're risky, you might take 20. But you don't have many options, right? That's what's in your account. But if someone the day before had transferred a million dollars or a million pounds or whatever currency we're using, I've jumped between all of them so far. Um, if you put a million of pounds in your account the day before and you put your card in and it says, what do you want? 10, 20, you know, whatever it is, right? Does that change anything? No, 
If you don't know they put it in your account, you're still sitting there thinking, oh, can I take 10 or 20? Maybe I should go in the bank and see exactly how much I've got so I can take out the right amount. Like, you're still thinking you've got 20 bucks. It doesn't matter how much is in your account. It just doesn't make any difference. You need to believe, you have, you have to have information to believe. You have to have a faith in what's in the account. The faith that you have equates to what you withdraw. And so all of a sudden, if you know, I, I call you up and I'm like, hey, Timon, I transferred a million dollars to your account yesterday. And you're sitting at the ATM and you go, oh, that's good to know. And you're like, right, I'm hitting other, right? 250 is not enough. I want to get loads out. Um, I'm not going to do that, Timon, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, you know, once you have that information, now I'm like, I'm going to the ATM like it's like, you know, like a jackpot machine. I'm just pulling the lever and just getting money out all the time. Because um, there's a lot of money in there. And I think oftentimes, this is how we engage with grace. That we don't fully believe what we've been given. We don't fully believe what God is saying, what he has done for us. So he says, hey, you're a man of peace. And yet you get really easily angry. If we don't believe you're a man of peace, you're not going to walk as a man of peace. If your belief is, I'm angry all the time, you're going to keep getting angry. If you are told by God, I have made you to be full of hope, full of faith, eternally optimistic, and yet you feel like, well, that's not who I am. I'm a pessimistic guy. I don't really ever think things are going to go, turn out for good. They usually turn out for bad. And you believe that about yourself, and you keep sowing into that belief, guess what? You're going to keep being pessimistic. That's how it works. Um, and so when God says, I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness, when he says, I've given you every spiritual blessing, when Jesus says, you are going to do greater works than I do, we have an option. We either believe it or we don't. And that's the challenge, is how much are we going to engage with this truth? And I think this is why it's called a gift to faith. This is a pretty transformative experience. And, you know, uh, let's talk about faith a little bit. And I'm kind of bouncing around, but I'm, I'm kind of just giving you a bit of a framework here for what we're doing when we prophesy. But I want to talk about faith a little bit because it's really misunderstood as well. A lot of people, when we talk about faith, think about um, what I believe in and of myself. Like, what, what do I believe? What have I, have I managed to believe? And so we go, well, uh, I believe that God can heal. I really believe that. And so we pray for someone to get healed and they don't believe, uh, they, don't, they don't get healed. And we go, oh, I must not believe enough. I have to believe harder. I have to believe more. And, you know, we hear this all the time. People say, you've got to grow your faith. And it's like, well, how do you believe God can heal more than I think God can heal? Right? I mean, like, I don't understand. Like, ah. So then we, we, we try it anyway, though. We get in the prayer closet and we're like rocking back and forward and praying and interceding. And we're fasting and we're reading our Bible or whatever we're doing. And we're trying to grow our faith as if like faith is on this big meter here where it's like lots of faith. So you've got like, you know, like, I don't know, Reinhard Bonnke and Bill Johnson and books like that. And then you've got like, you know, right below them, maybe like Paula. And then like, you know, like you work your way down and it's like whatever. And, and by the time you get down here, you're like, you know, Phil, you know, like maybe, <laughs> you know, and down here, you know, you got all oh, that guy who doesn't really believe very well. Right? But like, you've got this whole like tier and we look at people and go, oh, well, no wonder Paula heals the sick, right? Because she's got loads of faith. But I don't have loads of faith, so I can't heal the sick. I need to grow my faith. And it's kind of a, a weird thing because how do you even measure faith? Right? I mean, I, I, I find the whole topic quite fascinating, but this is how most charismatics see it, is this, this kind of, like, I don't know, like, um, it's like, you know, at the, the carnival, they get those guys with the sledgehammers and they hit the thing and it goes, and kind of, you see how strong you are. And you, can, you can measure your strength. Oh, wow, I, I got to this point. And then someone comes along and hits it, you know, like, and they're like a, a four foot six skinny guy just hits it and maxes it out. And you suddenly think, oh man, I, I suck, right? Um, but it's like that. We, we're almost doing that with our, our faith though, right? So we're like, we're, we're, we're going, oh wow, how's my faith doing? And we go, oh, I'm up to here. You know, but then someone else comes along and goes, oh, well, they're better than me. And someone else comes along and goes, oh, I'm better than them. But is that really what faith is about? Is it really about this measuring ruler? Um, and I'd like to propose to you that's not at all what faith is. You know, if you, if you read through the New Testament, you, you look at the Greek for faith, this, this word for faith, it just means to trust. And there's, there's not much to it. 
um, you know, I, I, often I'm asked for um, the best way I could uh, describe faith. And my very best way of describing faith is to have a blank look over your face and go, okay, that's it. It's, it's, it's to hear something God says and go, okay. That's, that's the greatest level of faith you could ever have. Pretty much anything else lowers the faith. <laughs> Any other response just probably gets in the way. <laughs> um, faith is just to hear God and say, okay. And so we often talk about faith as this measuring totem pole of like, you know, you've got to work and strive and grow your faith. But actually Martin Luther talked about this and he said he called it the idol of the will. He, he, he called it about, it's all about me. This faith has nothing to do with God. It's all about me. And if we're honest, that it doesn't have anything to do with God. It's how much can I believe? And what's interesting is Paul saw this coming, right? So we, we know that it's all by grace. It's all freely given by grace because of Jesus' work, nothing to do with me. But it comes through faith. So how good's my faith? And all of a sudden, instead of like measuring, oh, they feed the sick more, they heal people more, they give more money to charity, like that used to be the measurement, right? How, how, how holy were you? What were your works? Oh, he's a better husband than I am. She's a better mom or whatever it is. Um, now we just go, okay, it's not about works. It's about faith. So now we just go, oh, they have better faith than me. Well, I feel a bit bad, but well, at least I'm not as bad as them. They've got worse faith than me. And all we've done is we've just turned faith into a work. It's a brand new measuring stick for we think, how great am I? And it just becomes a new tool for pride. And so where works was just this measurement of how proud can we get, faith does exactly the same. Like this is the problem when we create faith on this level of faith about me and how I can grow my faith. Anytime, if you ask the question, how can I do something, you're in bad territory. We'll get to that in a, in a in a, yeah, another session. But like, I is a very bad identity to have. We is a much better identity, okay? Much better to think of yourself as me and God, not me. <laughs> Anytime you go into me mode, you, you get yourself in trouble a lot. Um, but that's aside. So with faith, I think it's really important that we recognize that this is the tendency. That as soon as we start to realize, okay, it's not about what we do, because that's all by grace, we quickly make it all about what I believe. And so we make that the work, and we make that this, this high tower on which I stand and can get proud on. But Paul, even in himself, says this. In, in Ephesians 2.8, he says, it's all by grace, through faith. And then he takes this little side, he says, but that faith is a gift, lest you should boast about it. So he's saying, I know you're gonna end up boasting about your faith. So don't forget, faith is a gift as well. Because most of us understand grace is a gift, but we think faith is all about us. I choose to believe God. I choose to believe I can heal sick. I choose to believe I can do that. I choose to believe I should go look after the poor. I chose to believe I should be a great husband. It's my belief. But it's not your belief. It's God's faith given to you. Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. He gives you faith and then he grows it. And, and that perfecter is the completer or perfecter. Or There's a few different ways you can tra translate that. But it basically means he starts your faith and he does everything with your faith all the way through to the end. That's the, the implication of it, right? So he gives you faith and then he goes, right, I'm going to grow this for you until it's complete, until it's perfect, until it's great. So it's not your faith. It's his faith given to you. And that creates a whole bunch of issues of like, well, what do I do with that? Like, you know, like, well, how come that person got given more faith than me? Right? And so that's, that, that we still, we're in this comparison mode non-stop. We love it. Um, but that's just not what it's about. Faith is about a gift given to you. You know, a great example of this, this um, polarity is, um, I often talk about, um, do you remember the kid with epilepsy in Mark 9? who's brought to um, Jesus. And, and so Jesus has brought this, this uh, guy, well, the disciples are initially, but like, um, he comes along and he, he goes to Jesus. He goes, look, I've got a son. He's epileptic. He keeps having these seizures. He doesn't say he's epileptic and seizures. He thinks it's a demon, like, because they don't have any modern day language for it. 
and, uh, and he goes, what's going on? Like, can you heal him? And, and, and it's fascinating, this, this question, can you heal him, right? Because if you stop and think about it, they're up a mountain, okay? So it's like right at the beginning, they're up a mountain, okay? Now it's Jerusalem, I don't know how high the mountains are, but they're not like, you know, massive mountains. They're probably just a very big hill. But nonetheless, they're not like, you know, round the, at the corner shop, you know? They're, they're, they're like out of the way. And so, I mean, I know you guys don't have kids, but like, if you've ever had to work with kids, they're a flipping nightmare. I mean, it's hard to get them to, you know, put their shoes on the right feet and walk out a door, okay? Never mind get them up a mountain, okay? That's, that's hard enough, okay? Never mind this kid keeps having epileptic fits every 10 minutes, okay? Can you imagine, like, this is not like these days as well. You can't, like, you know, just quickly throw him in the back of a car and drive him or, you know, get him on a helicopter to fly up to the top of the peak. This is a hard work to get an epileptic son who's constantly having fits up a mountain to meet Jesus. Now, a good question is why didn't he wait like another day or so like to wait till he came down? But anyway, <laughs> he's up the mountain and he goes to Jesus and he says, can you heal my son? Fascinating. Because like to me, I'm like, well, obviously he believes that you can heal his son. You wouldn't have brought him up a mountain if you, did, if you thought, well, maybe he could, maybe he can. He's obviously heard all these stories about Jesus healing people and all that. Like, that's what's motivated him to climb a mountain with his son to get to Jesus and say, hey, could you heal my son? And what Jesus' response is even more fascinating. He says, I can if you believe. Which is, again, I'm like, well, obviously he believes you can heal his son. Like, obviously, I mean, he brought you his son, like, all the way and came to you and says, hey, can you heal his son? Like, he obviously has some level of belief, right, on the scale. When we're working with the big scale, like, he's got, like, a little bit of faith. He's, he's like, well, can you heal him? Like, so he obviously believes he can, but he doesn't believe a lot, like, however that works. Um, and he says, well, I can if you believe. And his response is stunning. Because what does he say? He says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Have you ever noticed that? Because it doesn't work on the scale. You can't believe and not believe. But that doesn't work on our big scale of people growing in their faith. You can't believe you have a million dollars in your account and also believe you're flat broke. Like, they don't work. Like, you, it doesn't work on that concept. I think what's highlighted in this passage is that there's two types of faith. Not one faith on which is on one spectrum, but there's a faith in what God says, and it's a faith in what we say ourselves. And we see this all the time. And in fact, the, the word in Greek for doubt is highlights to this. It's, it highlights, it says to have two minds, to have two beliefs. And so it's not that we have one belief a little bit because we've still got a bit of doubt. It's no, no, we have one belief and then we have another belief. Some of us are lucky if we just have two. Um, <laughs> I've got about 30. Um, the point of it, though, is that there's this progress, there's this, this, this evolution of um, believing what God is saying. God is constantly speaking to us, and we're growing in what we believe, but we have some other thoughts that we want to add to the equation, right? So God says, hey, you're, um, you're not pessimistic. You're, you're supposed to be optimistic. You're full of hope. You're full of uh, faith and, 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 and joy and, and all these things that should be coloring how you see the future. And you go, yeah, but I've always been a bit pessimistic. And also, have you seen the world? There's this going on and there's this and I'm just being realistic. And, you know, and, and we add our belief to it. God says, hey, I'm going um, to use you to start a new business. And you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But then we also go, well, I don't really have any business experience and I'm not sure because I don't have the money and I'm like, how would I do it and where would I get property? And, and so we start adding all these other beliefs to the equation. And so it's not about not having belief. It's often much more to do with losing belief. It's not about growing our faith often. It's often about losing our faith because our faith is in the wrong thing. You know, um, 
we talk about that, that trust, how faith is just this, this word for trust. In the scriptures, there's a very clear example of how you grow your faith. In fact, growing your faith is not particularly a command ever given to you to do on your own. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want you to grow your faith. Um, in the scriptures, it says that we grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And we often, that word of God, we think it means the Bible. In fact, it never means the Bible when it says word of God in the scriptures. Like just, they didn't have that concept. Um, but that word of God is this word rhema. And, and the word rhema means the, the active, living, spoken word of God. It's, 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 it's this moment where you know God just spoke to you. He just is active and real. And, and that can come when you read the Bible, or it can come when someone says something to you, or it can come while you're driving down the road and you see a billboard. But it's this real, tangible moment of like, boom, God just spoke to me. And so the Bible tells us that faith comes when God speaks to you in that moment. So when you have a moment, you're driving down the road and, and he says, um, whatever it is, I'm going to heal you. You go, whoa. Like there's just this moment, right? Where you're like, whoa, I'm going to get healed. That's amazing. And in that moment, we have faith. We've been given a gift of faith. The question is, do you receive it? The only question is, do you trust? Because that's what faith is, right? Is it, is, do you trust what Jesus says? So in that moment when God says, I'm going to heal you, do you go, uh, okay. Right? That's it. That's all that was required is, okay. But this is where the problem is for most people is that they can say, okay, but very quickly afterwards they say, but what about, or what about this? How about that? Well, Jesus is also this going on. So I'm going to heal you. And like, yeah, but Jesus, I've still got this sin that I'm dealing with. You wouldn't heal me if I was still this rotten sinner, would you? Or I'm going to heal you. And you go, well, Jesus, I've never seen someone healed of this problem. I don't know if you can do that. Well, I'm going to heal you. And you go, well, yeah, but how am I going to get healed? I don't know anyone that could pray for me. <laughs> I don't know. You, we, we all have a, a belief here or there that we pepper in to what God's saying. So we receive God's faith, this gift of faith, and we say, okay, it's not actually about growing that. We don't need more. We have it. And we believe what God says. The funny thing is when God speaks to you clearly and you know God spoke to you, very rarely do we go, oh, I don't believe it. Right? I mean, most of us, when we hear God speak to us, go, oh, I believe that. So the issue isn't actually, do we believe God or not? The issue is, do we believe all the other voices? Because there's a lot of other voices going on. I, well, I speak for myself, but um, I'm assuming most people are like me when I say there's a lot of other voices going on. And so he says, hey, Phil, I'm going to take care of your finances. And you go, okay, that's amazing. God's going to bless me. He's going to provide for me. I've got scriptures for it. I mean, this is great. I know that. Yes, amen. But I just looked at my bank account and I had a heart attack. <laughs> uh, have you seen my increased bills? Have you seen that I've got this trip coming up that I can't afford? Have you seen that I've got this going on? Oh my gosh, I forgot to pay that bill and it's just come out one lump sum. I've got a year tax to pay. I'm taking my eyes off Jesus and I'm looking at my faith. It's all about what am I putting my trust in? What am I saying okay to? So I might have said okay to God saying, I'm going to bless you financially and look after you. You go, okay, yes. But somewhere along the line, I've started to say okay to a whole bunch of other things. And the challenge is, can I look at my bank statement and not look at that and go, oh, okay. But instead go, no, that's not what Jesus said. Now, it doesn't mean that I go spend a million dollars overdraft. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to be sensible with it. But I'm going to go, okay, that's where it is right now. But I know Jesus told me he's going to bless me financially and take care of me. So I'm not going to worry about it. It's not going to be something that gets, gets my faith. It's not going to be something that gets my trust. I'm not putting my trust in this. I'm putting my trust in this. And so when we um, are growing in faith, it's actually a question of just receiving what God is saying. Anytime God speaks to you, you've grown in faith. As long as you say, okay. <laughs> right? If you say, no, I don't believe it. No, 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 no. Well, you've not grown in faith. But I don't know many people that actually have that problem. I really don't know many people that hear God speak to them and actually tangibly go, whoa, God spoke to me, and go, nah, right? Most people go, yeah, that's not the issue. The issue is, 
in the next moment, you have to ask yourself, do I have any trust in something that is contrary to what God said? So God says he's going to take care of my finances. Really simple one, a good practical example. God says he's going to take care. So where is my trust regarding my finances right now? And I can go, well, I've got a lot of trust in me not doing well. I've got a lot of trust in how little I'm getting every month coming in. Or I've got a lot of trust in where my current bank statement is. Or I've got a lot of trust that the bill is due on the 6th and I can't afford it. You know? And you go, right, I need to start losing my faith in these things. And I think oftentimes the call in Christianity is not to grow our faith. That happens naturally in relationship with God. Every time God speaks to you, you grow in faith. So it's not hard work. You just talk to God. The hard part is, where's all my other faith? And how do I start putting it away and leaving it and not trusting that anymore? You see, this is why prophecy is so huge. Because prophecy, if God has spoken to you and you want to share it with another, that's all prophecy is. You know, I, I, if there's one thing I hope we can do this week is to demystify prophecy. Prophecy is this big, wow, like, oh, look, the prophet who can say what God says. And, you know, we all can hear from God. Like, I often, like, I'm fascinated by people that go, well, I couldn't prophesy. And I'm like, well, do you believe you can hear God? And if they don't do that, that, that's an issue, of course, and I can help them with that. But like, we all know we can hear from God. Like, if you can't hear from God, like, you have to throw out a good chunk of your scripture. God speaks to people, he speaks to them all the time, and it's pretty hard to ignore it. Um, so you can hear from God, and then I just ask, well, can you talk to other human beings? And even if you have no mouth, right, you could write it down and hand it over to them. <laughs> right? I mean, like, You've got a lot of options. All you require to prophesy is to hear God and to communicate to other people. If you can do those two things, you now are a prophet. You can hear him, you can share it. Done. All that required. And so, you know, we don't want prophecy to be this big, mystical, mysterious thing. We want it to be a normal, everyday activity. When God says to you, hey, I want you to encourage that person over there, tell them this about themselves and you go and share that, you've just prophesied. It's not complex, it's not like mystical, it's, it's just, well, I guess it is pretty mystical for a lot of people, but it's, it's, it's an everyday simple occurrence. And so, um, the key is though, when we do prophesy, what are we, what are we doing? We've heard that rhema word, that, that living, active moment words that we, we, we're talking to God and he gives us a, a picture, a vision, a, a word, he gives us you know, all the different ways that God speaks to us, he speaks into those things. And then we turn around to someone else and we share it. We're sharing that rhema words. And you know what? At times, people are not going to receive it as rhema words because it, it doesn't, maybe we got something wrong in the process, we misinterpreted or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that throughout the week. But sometimes they're not going to receive it as rhema word. It doesn't help them, it's not whatever. But hopefully, when we, when we do our part well, um, and the person's open and humble and, and willing to receive, they receive that rhema word, that moment, uh, living word of God spoken to them in the moment, and bam, they receive a gift of faith. And with a gift of faith comes the opportunity to change my mind. What's my faith in? That's really all this repentance is. All this, this is, is what is God saying? I believe it. What do I believe that is contrary to it? I'm gonna stop believing it. And that's harder said than done, obviously. I know personal experience on that one. Really harder said than done. <laughs> um, but it's not hard in the grand scheme of things. On paper, we go, okay, we, we trust what God's saying. I'm gonna stop putting my faith in these other experiences. And that's what we're giving people an opportunity to do. When you prophesy over someone, you're giving them a moment of repentance. You're giving them a gift of faith where they get to choose to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. They get to go, oh, wow, I don't believe what I believed before. Huh, I feel very different. And, and we see this all the time when we prophesy. You just come across someone and you go, hey, God wants to let you know that your family's gonna be okay. You're to stop worrying about your kids. He's got them. He, he loves them even more than you do. And you just see a mom just break down because God has said to her, 
your family's gonna be okay, I provide for your family. But she has 3,000 million things going on that's like, well, little Timmy's getting in trouble because he burned down the school and, you know, my girl's like starting to sleep around and all these things. And like, I mean, you're, it's very hard not to start believing in that stuff. Even if God said, hey, I, I love your family and I'm gonna look after your family. When life gets real, it's really easy to go, uh-huh, good, good stuff, God, but I'm freaking out over here, right? And so we get to speak life into that. We get to speak a rhema word into that, that, that brings us to new life, that, that, that grows the faith because God just spoke something fresh to me. God just gave me a fresh rhema word and now I have received faith. I've grown in faith. And all of a sudden, it gives us power. It empowers us to turn around and go, what am I putting my faith in and what needs to just go? Because it's in that moment that the, that the mom can turn around to go, you know what, this is not the end of the world. And actually, I, I, I'm trusting God has the capacity to deal with this. In fact, now I'm actually turning to God and going, God, how do I deal with this? How do I walk through this? How do I help my son or my daughter or whatever? It's, it's a powerful, transformative thing when we give someone this gift of faith, this, this rhema word. Um, and this is, this is why we do it. We don't do it, you know, something I see again and again, and we're going to talk about trappings of prophecy um, later on in the, the week, well, next week now. Um, something I see often is I would say a good amount of people prophesy for themselves. They prophesy because they want to feel good. They want to get something that's right. So they go, oh, well, I'd like to look like I'm a godly person, that I'm right, that God, you know, I hear from God or whatever. And I see it again and again and again that the prophecy is much more about making sure I'm right and making sure I look good than actually even helping the person. Um, and it's very easy to fall into that trap. It's very easy to just give a nice, simple, encouraging word. Um, and so, you know, prophecy is encouraging, it's edifying, it's exhorting. That's, that's our instruction from Corinthians. It says, look, it's supposed to be encouraging, it's supposed to be edifying, it's supposed to be exhorting. If you're not doing those three things in your prophecy, you're not prophesying, not in a new covenant way. Um, but it isn't just those things. It's really easy to go up to, you know, go up to someone that wants to be an actress. And you go up to them and say, hey, just want you to know that God's blessed you and he's given you these great gifts and you're going to become a great actress one day. Well, you've, you've not really said anything you didn't already know the person wants to know about themselves. And you've encouraged them, but you might have flown, thrown gasoline on the wrong fire. If God isn't actually moving them in that direction, but you feel great and you look great because that person goes, wow. You've encouraged me in my big dream and what I'm going to do with my life. I feel amazing right now and you're so great. And it might not have been anything at all from God. And it might have put them in the wrong trajectory potentially, but it was built out of an ego that said, I want to be right. I want to do this. I want to look good. I want to help that person. I want to whatever. As soon as you bring your ego into play with prophecy, you get in so much trouble and so many issues come into play. Don't prophesy because of anything to do with you at the end of the day. You prophesy because God has shared something with you for that other person. Um, and honestly, if you feel there's a chance of your ego getting involved, close your mouth and walk away. You can tell them later. But close your mouth, walk away, and deal with that in you first because we do not prophesy for ourselves. We prophesy for other people. And so you hear from God and you share over that person for their benefit, what God is saying for them. Um, because as soon as you bring your ego into play, you totally warp this dynamic of them hearing from God, growing in faith. At times, if their faith is on the wrong thing and you can see that and you allow it to influence what you say and you prophesy into that, you prophesy into that, you encourage it, you exhort it. What you're doing is you're fanning the wrong flame. You're fanning their faith, not God's faith and it can be really dangerous. We'll talk about that next week anyway. Um, I just wanted to highlight that because it can be really, really messy. Um, the, the final thing I want to talk about is prophecy is always inclusive. Prophecy's goal is always to include. It's never to exclude. And you see this again and again and again in um, Christianity. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen this, I don't know your backgrounds, but. I have seen some seriously messed up stuff. 
traveling, speaking in over a thousand churches now. I mean, I've, I've been around a fair amount and I've seen some really messed up pr prophetic ministries. I've seen people get up on the front and point at someone and say, hey, you, stand up. Your name's Sheila and you're having an affair and your husband doesn't know and you need to repent. And it's true. But holy crap, like that's an issue you just created on a monumental scale. Because now Sheila's freaking out. Her husband is like broken and angry and 110 other emotions. Her kids that are sitting with them are like, what's going on? Are mom and dad going to get divorced? Like what's happening? The whole church is like getting their pitchforks out. Like how was this on any level edifying, encouraging, exhorting. How on any level did that raise the, their faith in what God has to say about them and help them deal with their own? To be honest, that's really going to fan into flames their own faith of like, I suck, I'm useless, I'm crappy, I'm, I'm terrible, I, I'm unfaithful, I'm whatever. Like all you're doing is you're building all of that. You look great, right? Everyone's going to go, whoa, Prophet Bob, on it. That guy knows everything. Also, never going to one of his meetings ever again in case he calls out my crap, right? Because we've all got crap. And so, but how is that helpful? And yet people do this over and over and over again. And obviously the guy saw something. He, 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 he saw what was going on. That, that's not to be disputed. Um, but we don't share something that doesn't encourage, exhort, edify. It doesn't move them in the right direction. It doesn't speak the heart of God. And so the question is, what would you do in that scenario? I'll, I'll tell you an example. Um, when I was um, at ministry school, we had a person, uh, they went out on uh, to do some outreach on the streets and one of them went into an ice cream store and they were like, oh, I'm just gonna buy an ice cream. I'm gonna be nice and just chat to some customers. And the person, they went up to the till and they, heard from God really clearly, this woman used to be a prostitute. And he, she's like, oh, wow. And so she was like, I can't remember what she said exactly, but she basically said, hey, she's like, um, I just heard from God, God say that you used to be a prostitute, but I just want you to know that, you know, he's so proud of you, like turning your life around and like, you know, and that that's not who you are anymore. And he just sees you as righteous and beautiful and wonderful and, and that's, it was, a, it was a beautiful, like, encouraging, exhorting message. But she found out later that that woman got fired because her boss overheard that she used to be a prostitute. And that was a big problem for her boss. So she heard and saw this woman used to be a prostitute. She didn't see anything else or hear anything else. And she included that information in her prophecy, in, in her encouragement, in her exhortation. But did she need to? Probably not, especially when you look at the context. Maybe if she was one-on-one -on -one in a coffee shop or something or on, on their own, she could say, hey, I, God showed me this and I, he just doesn't want you to be shamed about it or feel guilt or condemnation. In fact, he's delighted and he's so proud of you, you know, turning your life around and walking in this way and he sees you as pure and holy and spotless. And, you know, that would be a great thing to do. But in the context of your bosses over your shoulder, you've got friends, you've got other customers saying, hey, God showed me you used to be a prostitute. Oh, that's just maybe not a great idea. And so there's context in what God shows you because the goal is always to get to that place of exhorting, encouraging, edifying. Um, another example, uh, one of the teachers uh, at the ministry school I used to do, uh, amazing guy, very prophetic guy. Um, he once uh, was in a meeting and he saw this guy quite near the back of the room. He says, hey, can you stand up? And he says, what's your name? And the guy's name was, we'll say Dave. I don't know what his name was. And he says, oh, Dave, he says, God just sees you as completely holy so beautiful, so spotless, so pure. You're someone that is so, um, you're a man of diligence, of integrity, of honor. You don't, you know, uh, you don't look at yourself with disrespect and with, without honor and um, value. And, and you're someone that values other people and honors other people. And, and the guy like the whole time was just like shaking his head and like, oh, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. Um, and anyway, Chris sort of said, okay, well, that's that. And he went off and then taught some more. And the guy came up to him afterwards and was like, none of that is true. And he's like, no, all of that's true. Everything in you that says it's not true is why. And this guy, he was, uh, I think he was a drug addict. He might've even been a drug dealer. He was really messed up situation with his partner and some of his kids. I mean, really, really messed up stuff. And 
it's easy when you're in that position not to believe any of that stuff. And Chris had been shown this. Chris actually saw all of that stuff, but chose, well, that's not helpful to share with him. He knows that stuff. And no one else in the room needs to know that stuff. What he needs to know is what God is saying about him. And so oftentimes God might show you something that doesn't necessarily look, wow, that looks like encouraging and exhorting and edifying, but it's to give you context so you can understand what is it they really need to hear? What is it they really need to hear from God about his love and his delight and his, his, um, his will to draw them in? Because prophecy pulls people in, it never pushes people out. Any prophecy that excludes is a bad prophecy. You know, um, there's a lot of um, prophets in America that frequently prophesy God's judgment over certain areas. So they'll prophesy San Diego's gonna have a terrible earthquake because there's gay people there, right? Well, first of all, San Diego's on the ring of fire. Of course it's gonna have an earthquake. I think it has approximately like 12 earthquakes a day, right? I mean, like not catastrophic, obviously, but I mean, saying San Diego has an earthquake is ridiculous. It's like saying it's gonna rain in Manchester in J January. It's like, yeah. I bet it will. Like, you know, that's not a prophetic word. That's just a really likely thing to happen. So anyway, putting that aside, but they, they judge, you know, like San Diego's. And have you ever noticed as well with these kind of prophets, they prophesy doom and catastrophe. It's only ever somewhere that actually has earthquakes. They're not ever going, you know, uh, well, Scotland will have a 9.4 on the Richter scale earthquake because there's gay people there. It's like, no, Scotland's going to have gay people and there's going to be no earthquakes. God apparently only gives earthquakes to people that live on an earthquake zone. <laughs> and apparently they, they are all the places that God cares about gay people and not the other places with gay people who never get judged that way. So, I mean, it's, it's a messy topic nonetheless, right? Anyway, but my point being, that's not how God does things. God doesn't give earthquakes to punish people and he doesn't give earthquakes to try and turn people around. Like, God draws people in, he doesn't exclude. And there's nothing inclusive about that message. It's entirely exclusive. It's saying, you have to change your ways. You have to do something different. You have to stop being who I don't like so that you can come in. And actually, Jesus doesn't do that. He goes up to people who are terrible, brings them in, and then they change. You know, he goes up to Zacchaeus, who's like hated and reviled by his entire town and says, hey, I'm going to come to your house tonight. That is like one of the most like, astonishing things because it's such an honor to host someone anyway in Judaism. To host someone is a deep, deep honor. To host a rabbi who like entire crowds are desperate to see, who you climbed up a tree, you're like a dignitary. You're a rich, rich guy. Really wealth, like, well, probably not well thought of uh, by the Jews, but well thought of by other people, your peers, the other rich people. You're like really important and you climbed up a tree a very degrading act just to see this guy. And he comes to you and says, I'm gonna eat at your house. That's like massively complimentary. That's like, that's huge to say, I'm gonna to come to your house because you wouldn't step foot in a sinner's house. Just, you would never do that because to go and dine with someone is to say you approve of them. Jesus says, I approve of you before he changes. Jesus says, I am okay with who you are before he becomes okay with the, the, the Jewish rule book. Um, so Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna come and dine with you. He goes and dines with you, and in that place he changes. But there's something, it's, it's that come, follow me. It's that I think you can do what I can do. It's the, this is what God believes about you long before you can believe it about yourself. And probably before you believe in a God like that anyway. This is the beautiful thing is, Jesus represents a God that most people weren't willing to believe in at that point. You know, most of Jesus' ministry is trying to get them to believe in a different God. <laughs> like, the God is so radically different to who they actually thought he was. That's what was so offensive about it, is Jesus was a great guy. He was awesome. He was healing people. He was a nice guy. But the problem was, he said, this is what God's like. And they were like, whoa, whoa, but hold on. That's an issue. You can't say God's like that, because my God is nothing like that. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> Your God is nothing like my God. Correct, what's your point? And so it's about drawing people in. It's about portraying a God that's too good to be true. Right? I mean, the gospel is this good news of a good God. Um, and a lot of people aren't in a place to receive that yet. And so it's, it's, it's going to them where they're at and saying, you're welcome. 
you're included. Let me tell you what God thinks about you. As we, as we do that, we draw people in. And a lot of people have used prophetic to exclude and to push people out. And that's never, um, never how we do things. We, we don't ever, the, the heart, like again, the why is to pull people in, to include, to, to um, expand our circle. You know, whatever it is that we box in, this is who's allowed in. Anytime you come up to someone that you go, oh, they're not in my box right? It might be whatever, a drug dealer, or a this or that, and you go, they're not allowed in. They're bad or they're whatever. That's the moment where you go, oh, I've got an opportunity to change me, <laughs> but also to prophesy. And that's another thing. This is a beautiful thing about prophecy. Um, there was once this, uh, this girl I was in school with, and she, she said, she I absolutely love hearing people being prophesied over. And I was like, why? Right? Because it's about God speaking to someone, to tell someone else who they are. And you're over here, you're not even part of the equation. And she said, I love it. She's like, it's my favorite thing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she says, I get to see what God thinks about that person. I get to know what's really true about that person, sometimes before they even know it and believe it themselves. And this is the beautiful thing about prophecy is God shows you and tells you what's really true about that person in front of you. And it's hugely important because nine times out of 10, when someone's sitting in front of us, what we think about them is probably not very true. <laughs> we add a whole bunch of different stuff to the mix. So allowing God to, to prophesy over other people, engage with that, grab a hold of that, like choose to see people differently. You know, you're gonna hear a lot of people prophesying over each of you, you know, like, you know, so when you, um, uh, when you hear someone prophesying over Marek, Timon, you listen up and you go, wow, that's actually who Marek is. And even though I live with him and sometimes he's a bit of a pain or you know, he, this is something that annoys me, God says that's not who he is and that's actually this. Whoa, huh, that's who I need to see him as. That's who I need to keep encouraging him as. Because, because actually there's an invitation when we hear prophecy, there's an invitation into it. So there's, a, there's an obligation uh, or an opportunity. When you hear a prophecy about yourself, you have this, this moment to repent and to have metanoia, teshuva, you know, to change how you see, to, to kill off this unhealthy faith and whatever's wrong and to allow this faith that God has given you to flourish and to be alive. But actually when someone else is being prophesied over, you go through the same process yourself. God is saying to you, this is who that person is and your faith is growing if you allow it, if you receive it and say, okay, I'm gonna believe that, that grows. But if you don't, all this other stuff that you believe about that person is still gonna cause you to, um, is gonna influence how you see that person, how you relate to that person, how you trust that person, the opportunities you give that person. I mean, you ever think about this? Like the opportunities, like Jesus, like I love when the disciples were off gallivanting the world and preaching and doing all these things. You ever like notice how they res people responded? They were like, who the heck are these idiots? Like, I mean, they're like, who are these guys? They're fishermen. They're uneducated fishermen. Why the heck like are they on this like global platform? How the heck are they changing the world? How on earth are they making so much sense when talking about such deep philosophical and theological things? Like, that's how the world saw them. It was like shocking to them. And in hearing people being prophesied over, you have an opportunity to see them how God sees them and to treat them how God treats them and to position them how God wants them to be positioned. You'll see this, do you know what? It really annoys me sometimes, right? Because it just highlights how much I don't have good faith in people. Um, watch Andy and Sharon, like just watch, like, to tell you what, I don't even want a WWJD bracelet, I want a WWSD bracelet. What would Sharon do? Because pretty much every time she does something, I'm like, oh man, I'm just so convicted, I'm so challenged. And like, my first thought was not her first thought. Um, and watch them though, just genuinely watch them because they will believe in people to a degree that I, I just don't know if I'm possibly able to, right? And that's probably a thought that belongs over here. But I mean, it's stunning to me. They will put people in a position of leadership, of 
authority, of trust. They trust people way beyond what they should be trusted on a natural level. If we were going to fixate on what I can see, you would be like, I would not put that person in charge. I would not let that person off with the kids, or I would not let that person be on the worship team, or I would not let that person teach this. Or, But they just go, no, we believe in you. We see what God sees in you. And what's beautiful about it is when you create that room, when you, when you make room for this prophetic insight into someone's life, you give them room to flourish. You give room for uneducated fishermen to change the world. Because I'm gonna go out on a limb and say those 12 guys probably wouldn't have changed the world if Jesus hadn't believed in them. I mean, let's be honest, most of them can't catch fish when we read about them fishing. They need Jesus' help to catch fish. So they weren't even good at fishing, never mind like running around preaching the gospel, you know? Like they needed all the belief they could get. And I think it challenges me so much that he believed in people to such an extreme. And you know what? Believed in people way more than they believed in themselves to the point where he believed in Judas a lot more than Judas believed in himself. Because Judas obviously had enough flaws in himself and enough disbelief in himself or belief in the wrong things that he totally let Jesus down, went off on a complete tangent and ended up getting the guy killed. I mean, talk about believing in someone way beyond where they are in the physical. Because I don't think Jesus was unaware that Judas was gonna do what he did. You know, he's very clear, in fact, he goes, oh, it's that guy over there. When people asked him who it was going to be, he was like, oh, it's Judas. Um, he knew Judas was going to betray him, and he still believed in him. He still invested in him. He still believed. He saw what God saw as the potential in Jesus way beyond what he ended up being. And so there's something in prophetic that says, I'm not going to fixate on, the, on the, the facts and the figures. And, you know, this is being, I'm not saying, you know, you, um, you, find a pedophile and go, I believe in you, go play with the kids. You know, like, I'm not saying that, you know, like, hear me in this. But I am saying you find a pedophile and you go, that's not who you are, this is who you are, this is what I believe you to be, this is, and I'm gonna give you, position you to, to become all that you are. And I'm gonna position you to grow into who, all that you are. You, you, do you hear what I'm saying? It's not about just, you know, like, making a complete disaster and a mess. Um, you know, Andy and Sharon haven't picked someone that's like um, deeply irresponsible and made them the senior pastor of a church or something, you know, like, but they're, they're, they're positioning them to grow. They're positioning them to, to go out and do something amazing. Jesus did this with his disciples. He didn't, he didn't send them out to all the world on day one, right? But pretty early on, he goes, hey guys, I want you to go out into the surrounding cities and go heal people, cast out demons, preach the gospel. And they did it. And they came back buzzing, right? They were like, we had no idea we could do this. This is amazing. We saw this and we saw this and we saw this. And Jesus' response is like, I know. Because he knew they could do it. He wasn't surprised they saw all that stuff. They were. And so there's something of prophetic that, that equips and sets people up. So, so be conscious of what you hear because it's not just about being part of that prophetic flow. It's actually part of being a witness to that prophetic flow as well. The why we prophesy is not just for the person being prophesied over. It's also for you. And you get to be a part of their journey because as they walk in their prophetic words, as they walk out what they are hearing and what's being taught to them, yeah, so someone uh, gives a prophetic word, um, God knows you want to start a business and he's going to produce a He's going to provide some finances. He's going to equip you. He's going to um, just set you up on the right path. And they're sitting there going, yeah, that's great. I believe that. That's exactly what I would do. I want to have a business of my own. And they go off. And three weeks later, the, the guy that gave prophetic words long gone, maybe he's a visiting prophet or whatever, he, he goes off home. And the guy that got the prophetic words is now facing, oh, but I have no free time. I don't have any money. How on earth am I going to do this? And he's long left the okay to God's gift of faith and he's really in heavily on his faith. What do I believe about this situation? It's not good. <laughs> and he's in that zone. What you get to do is someone that overheard that prophetic word, someone that, that was part of that experience as the community is, you get to come alongside and go, hey, let me remind you of what God is saying. Let me remind you of that gift of faith that you were given. Let me throw uh, gas on those flames to rekindle the flames and get you excited again so that you can look at that and go, that isn't a big deal. God's bigger than that stuff. God's promise is bigger than my current situation. And so there's a privilege we get in overhearing prophecy to be a part of all of that, you know. Um, 
positioning people, equipping people, trusting people, valuing people, respecting people. Um, I wanna, I wanna be like Jesus in that regard. I wanna be able to look at someone and I'm sure he looked at Judas and thought, gosh, this guy's a zealot, he's a total screw up and he's probably gonna end up like blowing the whole thing up, right? And he still goes, all right, I'll give him the money to be in charge of and I'll trust him as one of my 12. And you know what? Judas was one of the guys that went out and he healed the sick and he cast out demons and he got a lot right probably as well as screwing up. Um, but Jesus believed in him. Jesus positioned him as best he could. Um, and so I want to be like that. I want to look at people. I want to be that message that says, come follow me. I want to I give people that message that says, I believe you can do what God does. Like God believes you can do what he does. Jesus believes you can do what he does. Jesus believes you can be all that he is. We'll stop there, um, but I just, I want you to have that as you, as you go through this week, as you're considering prophecy, and there's gonna be like really great fundamental teaching on how it works, different ways we do it, how we hear from God in prophecy, and how we communicate, and all these different elements. I want you to have underlying it all, why am I doing this? And if your motives aren't right, take a step back, figure that out, and then come back to it because your motives have to be a communication of God believing in the person. It, it's never about um, trying to strong arm people into believing in God. It's never about uh, pushing people out. It's always about bringing people in and telling them God believes this about you. It's about communicating what God is believing, what God is saying. Um, and so I, I want throughout all prophecy we do, it to be a vehicle of repentance, a vehicle of changing people's minds to believe what God believes about them. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.